0: Wine Monk, Arizona wine podcast by Cody Vladimir Burkett. Good evening everybody uh this is on a wine monk i'm here with my brand new friend amber who i just met in the tasting room today she's studying wine over in italy and loves vermentino and i said oh i have a vermentino from san reckoner that you need to meet because vermentino is one of arizona's best grapes which of course pissed off gary who i promised to podcast this wine with sorry gary love you gary but you're down in wilcox more often than i am you can get your own damn vermentino
1: Smells
0: fantastic. Hello. Oh, I thought someone was behind me. No. (laughs)
1: Talking
0: to the people on your podcast. Oh, the lonely people. Sorry. We are still at the stage of the night where I am at that Venn diagram between having wine and having coffee where my brain is a little weird. So we're going to fix that. So the fruit for this came from the Wilcox Bench and the Wilcox AVA, which is Arizona's newest AVA. Um, Just literally became enshrined as an AVA about two and a half, three months ago. Um, uh, Chiricahua Ranch Vineyards, which is farmed and owned by Greg Gonnerman, uh, who's going to be starting his own label and his own tasting room that should be done, I think, by February, he said. At least in terms of tasting them. So this is actually the first time I've tasted fruit from that vineyard. So huh. I'm very, very curious. It's weird how Vermentino always smells a little bit like sea salt to me. hmm So I know you were telling me this story before recording about your change and shift in plans. Um... But what led you to decide to go and study wine in Italy?
1: Wow. Um, so I worked for a very large pharmaceutical company in uh, regulatory compliance. So basically my job was to tell people know they couldn't do that. It was illegal, uh, which was a very stressful and combative job. Um, and so I decided that it wasn't for me. Yeah. I loved wine. I'd been making wine at home for several years as a microbiologist by training. Um, and I just decided to take the leap and, and study wine in, in the place where it was warm, and so moved to Italy and joined a graduate program, and the rest is history.
0: What's the college?
1: Uh, it is uh, Florence Youth University of the Arts.
0: I could see why wine would be considered an art in the lake, because it produces some damn fine good shit.
1: <laughs> and they have this great balance between um, having practical SOM knowledge. So we have quite a few professors that are certified sommeliers, and a couple professors that are winemakers. So we get to work in the vineyards, and get yelled at by small Italian men about tasting notes. and so it, it's it's very stressful to try to learn how to taste wine when somebody's screaming at you but
0: I'm sorry I'm just picturing this as like barracks the, the winery barracks and it's just like some sort of like Italian drill sergeant yelling at you this is what you're going to be tasting your wine this is your wine glass you will know this wine glass you will die in this wine glass
1: <laughs> pretty much uh, this is yeah, it's they have very strict ideas of what wine is and is not.
0: <laughs> for and, example,
1: oh, for example, Chardonnay.
0: Chardonnay is not a wine.
1: Chardonnay, uh, it, with any touch of oak, like the slightest touch, is not. Uh, it's not something that is. Uh, it's not Italian style, and it, it's not something they they like a great deal. So Chardonnay is very often unoaked. Very tart, very green. Um, not something I prefer, but that's that's generally, <laughs> uh... It sounds like the Arizona
0: style, by and large. Most of us here are doing stainless steel, or if not stainless steel, the neutral
1: oak. Yeah, there's no, new like, there's no oak aging. It's very stainless steel, all the way. And it's very clean, um, but it's, uh, very acidic, um... And not something, being from California, that I enjoy. Like, I don't enjoy Laura Valley, Chablis. Like, that's just not my style of me. Yeah. Um, but, so, that's... They have very finite... I, well, at least in my introductory to, um... Uh, wine tasting class, they... The professor had a very finite idea of what is and is not acceptable. And so we're learning the classic Italian and hopefully in further semesters we'll learn more of the the new age, you know. I think in in Italy there's been a huge transition between the old school, um, very uh, uh, traditional and transition to very new, newer winemakers who are younger and have a more open mind about uh new technologies, new techniques, more uh, things that they can learn from the New World, California, New Zealand. So we're seeing that transition in Italy currently.
0: Is there a big backlash between between or shorter between these two sort of groups? Are there like active components in one camp versus the other that are you know, sending not like necessarily death threats, but
1: Oh, most definitely. Um they're Italian, so they're always... Death threats are normal. Yeah, they're very passionate about their opinions. Um, and so people feel very deeply about wine. And so, um, it, not death threats, but people have distinct opinions. So older uh, winemakers have differing opinions than younger ones. But the, the culture is moving towards more um, integrated uh, New Age Techniques.
0: Have you gotten to play with any Arnaeus?
1: <gasps> I've not, but I've got to taste.
0: Um, so, one of the bottles that I'm giving you to take and set against Italy, um, the Shots for Um, they do a really fucking amazing Arnaeus. Really? Yes. It's one that. of only two Arneases I've ever tasted. The other one was an Italian one, and I admittedly... Mm-hmm. Maybe it's my own parochial homeland bias, but I like the Arizona one better. But uh, it's a grape I'd like to spend more time with.
1: It's it's a really good grape. Um, Neziola is another one that could do well, I think, in Arizona. I'm not familiar with that grape at all. Oh, it's a white grape. It is um, very... It's, it's like between... Uh, God, where would I put it? a it's aromatic but not as much of a, as a like a gubis demeanor but more arom- aromatic than a chardonnay hmm. um, but it's a nice in between Okay. Um, but it is a very it's a very nice white um, but it is often grown in Tuscany and in the warmer climates down south so I think it might do well in Arizona but that's just my opinion and I'm not A winemaker here, so. (laughs) For what it's
2: worth.
0: Well, it's, you know, the thing that I've noticed is that Italian varietals and Spanish varietals are the varietals that tend to do best unilaterally here, so that's why I ask all these weird, quirky questions about Taiwan. But also, I've never been to Italy, shockingly. Um,
1: You should come. I I want to go
0: and visit Italy dramatically.
1: I'll be there for the next, until (laughs) mid-June.
0: I don't think I can swing it before then. Um, not without massive, like, lottery winnings. Uh, that, that, otherwise I'd be like, yeah, I'm gonna go to Italy, bye guys. We're, we're gonna go next podcast in Italy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna bring Arizona Malvasia, set it side by side.
1: Oh no. And so I'm super excited about the wines that you've given me, because, uh, the anticipation of doing a blind tasting with some of my counterparts, um, at the Italian school to see, how the San Giovese from Arizona measures up against some of the, you know, Chiate Classico and just generally. See if we can tell the difference and what they are and, and take note of, of what those are and what can be attributed to the terror water of Arizona is pretty the, impressive.
0: What I have noticed about oh. San Giovese in Arizona is this distinct note of a particular pipe tobacco. Hmm. Um... That's actually a particular pipe tobacco blend, and Mark Barra's Donut Flying Leap always chides me about it and mocks me for it. Um, that's a particular blend called Squadron Leader, and it's a mix of like diff- five different pipe tobaccos, and I can't remember any of them off the top of my head. Uh, I know one of them is Cavendish and another is Latakay, and another one is, like, Burley or something. Um, pipe tobacco is as complex as wine, and I just know enough to know what I like. <laughs> But anyway, I get that distinct note in Oh, Wilcox, Arizona Sangiovese. Huh. I didn't get it in the few Sangioveses I've had experience with in the Verde Valley. But I've not been as impressed with Verde Valley Sangiovese as I have Wilcox. Both of these are from Wilcox. One is from Fort Bowie. Uh, it's the inaugural Passion Cellar Sangiovese blend from uh, 2014. I know it's not the best Sangiovese. I don't that's more like a, here's a fun sample. I don't expect it to stand up against Italy. It's good, but it's not Italy-worthy good. Uh, and then I have the Chateau Tumbleweed 2015, which is not really Italian style at all, but I think that they'll like it. Mm-hmm. The best Sangioveses in the state, like I said right now, are from Flying Leap, which I don't have, and you don't have time to go get. And San Reckoner, the number two, but I drank my number two with Goering. Um And his BB-8 pillow. <laughs> He's a big fan of Star Wars. Ah. Um, and we really, really dug the number two um, Grosso from Rob Hemelman, who also made this wine that we've got in our glass, actually.
1: This is really nice.
0: Uh, Rob Hemelman, I think, is one of the five best winemakers in the state, hands down. Uh, I would stack him up against anybody. Which is why I'm telling you tomorrow, go to Plaza La and get the Sand Reckoner Super Tuscan. I want to say it's the number five.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: That's um, Sangiovese and Sorol. And just when you go in, it's like, hey, show me where the Sand Reckoner is.
1: Yeah. Okay. And they'll
0: point it out to you. Because uh, yeah. San Reckoner needs to go back to Italy. <laughs> and he's the only one doing Sagrantino, and you were gushing about Sagrantino in the tasting room. And I was like, you suck, my bet you've had Sagrantino. Like, I, <laughs> I love the source. Sagrantino. Actually, if you insist on paying me back for those bottles at all, bottle Sagrantino.
1: Oh, I can... I can <laughs> yeah.
0: if, if you aren't going to really insist, then I, I accept payment in wine. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's for my type of person. Oh, my gosh. Um, <clears throat> okay, so let's talk about the Vermentino in the glass. Yeah. This is it's pretty spectacular. This is not something so... Vermentino, Vermentino is known as roll, and France mm-hmm. um, So mostly you get it in southern France and Sardinia right mm-hmm. um, And then you get it down in Tuscany and all the way on to Sicily. I think so um, And so it has it's very chameleon like right So northern Italy it gets very minerally and very green it's not yeah not something I' like personally. As you get farther south and the temperature and the weather and the climate gets warmer, it gets more round and more fruity and more, um, for me, more approachable, which is what this reminds me of.
0: It's always struck me also that Arizona whites tend to have this really strong minerality, especially from Wilcox, but it's not as heavy as in other places. It's an approachable minerality. It's got a really nice balance, especially this one, between that minerality, which is something that's very common to me in Wilcox whites. It's sort of like limestone dust or flint dust huh. um, to me in my palate. Excuse me, palate, but I also minored in geology, so I licked a lot of rocks. <laughs> um, <laughs> which is why if you read my blog, I'll be like, this has sort of a granite minerality. How do I know that? Because I licked a lot of granite in, in undergrad. That's not a euphemism for drugs, guys.
1: I'm going to have to take your word for it. But it does, it has does smell
0: very mineral to me. Yeah. And then it's also got that really nice light peach. A little bit of almost like a lychee. Very floral character as well. Oh, yeah. Not nearly as floral as... I oh, not bother. I want... I spilled wine on my shirt. Whatever. I'll live. Um, but it's not nearly as floral as Malvasia. And I don't know that you got a chance to really encounter much Malvasia today.
1: Not today, not from, not from Arizona.
0: Um, um, honestly, tomorrow I would, on your way out, buy a bottle of the Chinola Blanca mm-hmm. uh, from Caduceus. Or is it the Chupacabra Blanca? No, it's the Shinola Blanca, which is 100% Wilcox Malvasia. And it's the cheapest bottle of Arizona Malvasia you're going to find. Really? Um, and it's right down the street, and they'll let you buy it before 9.00. <laughs> uh, the, the wine early at nine you know, as long as they don't drink it at least sometimes they do depending on their, okay. if they tell you if you tell them that I need to take, I want to take this back to Italy because I'm studying wine there and mm-hmm. they might say yes
2: okay
0: well, unfortunately uh, all my bottles of Malvasia are earmarked for different podcasts hmm. um, otherwise I would have brought one of those to, or run back home and gotten one of those For you to take home. Oh,
1: it's no problem. Like, Malvasia is often used in, like, a sweet wine, like a late harvest.
0: Here it's not. Really? I can think of... I think James Callahan was talking about doing a sweet dessert in Malvasia at one point, but whether he actually did it or not, I don't know. But he's the only one who's ever talked about it. Here it's kind of our almost bread-and-butter butter, dry wine. It's our white that does better than anything else. And it's incredibly floral and aromatic. Um, it's almost like... The very first Malvasia I ever had, which was the Frightest Malvasia 2012 Reserve, was described to me in the tasting room when I first tried it in between sandwich jobs, long story. This is before I got really into working in the Arizona wine industry when I was just drinking it. Uh, the woman described as like drinking liquid sunlight. Light, airy, floral, aromatic. Almost like you're burning incense in a flower garden. Wow. And that's a truism that I've that is across the board common with Arizona Malvasia. Now I have to
1: go pick up a bottle.
0: You should. You you definitely should. Oh
1: my gosh. So like, yeah. I'm I'm super excited just to take some of these wines back. I got some from different uh houses, different chateaus or I don't
0: know. You call them wineries here.
1: Wineries. Um,
0: there's only one officially called Chateau
1: Chateau Toubeauville.
0: Chateau Toubeauville. And of course they they have made made it into a humor thing, which I love them for. And again, like I said, you you know, the labels are awesome and and they're reverse mullets, so you've got that party on the front with the crazy label, <laughs> with the tumbleweed doing something or other. And then on the back, it's like every single bit of information that you as a wine geek would want to know or as a winemaker studying to be a winemaker or studying to be a smallie would want to know about the m- making of this wine. It's amazing. And like I said, when um, next time I'm down there, so, you know, next week, let's face it, probably this weekend, let's be honest, <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll get a picture of the, the front and back of the Sangiovese label for you oh, so that'll have all the details that you want Fantastic.
1: Look at. now I'm going to uh, do a blind tasting with my colleagues or my instructors in Italy and see uh, what their honest and true feedback about the the lines I'm going to bring them
0: send them back I would love to hear it and pass it on to these guys I know. It's even if it's bad, you know, that only means that, okay, we've got work to do. And Arizona still is young.
1: I see, for me, it's sort of like the thing with uh, the French versus California. You know, unless unless there's a true objective comparison, yeah. you're never going to get Which is deep
0: why deep. this blind tasting needs to be done. And even the, the tasting I did in Merlot yesterday wasn't truly objective. Um, we still could see the labels on all the bottles. Which was also part of the thing, so that way we know exactly, okay, this is where this is coming from, and we found that the Bordeaux blend that we had in our lineup was the one that we liked the least. Really? We were shocked. We thought, oh, nothing's going to stand up against this Bordeaux. Where was
1: it from?
0: Uh, Cote Bordeaux, I don't remember exactly where past that. I have to look up. Yeah, somewhere. You know, I mean, not the premier Bordeaux house, of course, but that was something I got that was an affordable Merlot that I knew was or an affordable Bordeaux that I knew was mostly Merlot 70%. So...
2: Okay.
0: But at the same time, we were all shocked. It's just like, whoa. This this was disappointing. Compared to the rest. Oh. And California won. Everyone loved this. Uh, I showed you the picture. Mm-hmm. The uh, 2005... Starts with a V. Blanking. Faquero? Va- Va- not Faquero. That's cowboy. In Spanish. Yeah, that is <laughs> um,
2: This
0: is a good thing why I brought this camera. That and because I need to get pictures from the podcast later. Um, because there's an image that goes on each one. Maya uh, camas which has nothing to do with Faquero. Or sounds nothing like it at all. Um, yeah, this is why I don't have nice things. Also, oh. smile. Wait. Oh, that would help. I don't phot- photograph well, but I'm clearly your eyes are closed and I'm you look terrible. Like you look painful. Generally. Just be relaxed. That's better. Hmm. And then it'll hold the ball later. Anyway, sorry, because the uh, tension deficit was shiny. But anyway, the, the Mayakamas, uh, 2005, everyone agreed was the best. But number two was the reserve Merlot from Salvatore, which surprised a lot of us. We're like, oh, wow, this stands up against the California and beats our Bordeaux.
1: No, like, just from my tastings of the Merlot um, we we had this discussion that Merlots from Arizona are unique in that they aren't this, this effeminate sort of fruit-forward wimpy
0: yeah wimpy like damsels in distress yeah
1: it's like I think you put it the best way
0: it's like biker chicks or yeah. with tattoos or, or uh, thinking on this later after you left it's like and I should have said the nerdiest possible reference it's like A <laughs> from Lord of the Rings. <laughs> it's like, I will cut you with a sword and kill the Witch King, bitch, and you're going to enjoy it.
1: <laughs> but it, like, it is a very... It's it's something very unique, and I think that if more people learn about it, or about this, this version of Merlot, I think more people could grow to like it. Because be the traditional... Uh, stigma of Merlot it's it's like I don't like fucking Merlot yeah exactly and this is fucking Merlot I think
0: anybody would like yeah that's more or less actually how I opened the the podcast yesterday was okay kids let's drink some fucking Merlot (laughs) but yeah and then you have other grapes like this Vermentino that's very Italian oh yeah like put this next to an Italian in a blind tasting I don't really know unless it was from a region notorious for its minerality like North central Italy, like Liguria, yeah. that I would be able to tell this apart from an Italian Vermentino.
1: Yeah, if you pull this from southern Tuscany, I, I don't know if anybody would be able to tell
0: the difference. Which What's is mine? both wonderful and fascinating, but at the same time, it's like, okay, so this raised the question in Arizona do we want to grow grapes that are definitely taste different from everywhere else, or do we want to know? Grow grapes that taste good here, that we know do well, regardless of the fact that Italian Vermentino tastes like our Arizona Vermentino. I don't
1: know. It depends on um, if the goal is to make good wine, which it should be. I think that it shouldn't matter if it tastes like something that is also good, um, and I think if you find the best expression of the grape or the variety in Arizona that you should strive for that. You know, the French say that their terroir is this, that, and this other. And, okay. But I, I also think that there are different expressions that you can find in some place like Arizona that might be different, but just as good.
0: Yeah. And Tanata is a great example of that, I think, in Arizona, because um, the very first Tanat I ever tasted um, was... Uh, 2004 French Tanat from, full on Tanat from the Madeira Nahossi and AOC, was like drinking and I still had so much chance, it was like almost drinking uh, Turkish coffee yeah. that someone had put in a lot of fruit syrup in, and it was like super interesting and super tannic and super fun, because I love mm-hmm. when it comes to rents I'm like I'm dark and tannic and brooding and aged in a cellar for 35 years, much like <laughs> my women, um I don't close? know about that. <laughs> yeah, I'm kidding entirely. Um,
1: I think that's illegal. <laughs> probably.
0: <laughs> but, you know, the point is I like my super dark, super tannic reds. So mm-hmm. Tornot and Saperavi and Sigrentino to mm-hmm. a lesser extent. Actually, I'm I kidding. Sigrentino is also super duper tannic.
1: Like Alionico?
0: I do like Alionico. Um The accepted pronunciation for that grape in Arizona seems to be Ionico. Okay. For some weird reason. Um, at at least that's what my boss insists on we we actually had an argument for three months in the winery on what to call (laughs) and how to pronounce this grape we We actually have some in barrel and and passion right now that's beautiful, it's on par with anything I've tasted from Voltura
1: fantastic
0: Um, and he thinks and I agree that it has a lot of potential to be one of if not the, I'm saying one of, he says the (laughs) Uh, tannic Arizona grape. Um, I'm holding out for Zagrantino, and my vote still lies with Tanat for that.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, Cab Franc also does very well out here. Uh, better than Cab Sav. And again, if you were... This is why I wish you were staying... You could stay longer, because I'd be like, you need to go and try this wine. You need to go and try this wine. Because as a wine geek like myself, I think you'd appreciate like a a, a curated list of... Almost you know. The wine monk's top twenty favorite wines in the Verde Valley.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I would enjoy, that, like that would be, that would be a, a week worth of uh, yeah, I would.
0: This is what you need to do your next spring break then.
1: This is true, after next semester, yeah. back through Arizona.
0: There are lots of people that you know, and if you're serious about finding a job out here, that would be the time to do it, and to start an employee or start to explore and visit these different wineries and talk to the. Winemakers.
1: Oh, I like it. And that's that's the exciting part about Arizona. It just seems like everybody's very open very dynamic very um, It's it's something on the cusp of becoming great Just from my impression of you know, the wines I've tasted in the last three days, you know, there's some that are, eh, but there are some that are spectacular <laughs> and
0: I still haven't... F- there's still a few that are, in my opinion, the spectacular ones that you haven't seen yet. Mm-hmm. Um, which is why you need to come out and visit again. Because, here, here you want some
1: more. Ooh. Yes. Thank
0: you. Wow. This is fantastic wine. Yeah. Rob Hellman, like I was telling you earlier, is definitely, I think, one of the five best winemakers in the state. Um, so... It's also pretty light, Uh, 12.7, which is good, because I like that, and a good summer white. Vermentino is definitely, I think, one of our five best whites. Malvasia, like I was showing you before, is, I think, our best people are some Arizona people actually starting to hate it now because, like, oh, all the whites have Malvasia. This does so well. It's so boring. Which I think is, to me, anathema because I was... Hell. um, I was engaged to that grape on Facebook for April Fool's Day two years in a row. (laughs) Um, That's how much I liked it. And my default was whenever I was in a relationship, set relationship to... in a relationship with (laughs) Malvasia... Because it was kind of the running joke. At every wine is like, oh, we got a new vintage of your girlfriend in. Oh, new Marvel season? Yeah. <laughs> Sweet. Pour it. Um, no. And then Vignet does really, really well here, too. I would say that the Vignets I've tasted in Arizona, the good ones, mm-hmm. I, and there's not very many bad ones, like one or two. They're on par with Condrigu in France, in my opinion. Especially if you get ones that are just lightly oaked with a little bit of French oak or Hungarian oak. Oh. That was mine. <laughs> and actually I wonder if that was Rob saying if there was anything else that I should know. Because I texted him just before. He says, um uh, this is quoting Rob Hamelman directly from uh Oh, cool, this is barrel ferment, sorry, I'm jumping ahead here. Um to quote Rob Hamelman. I just love it for its light and crisp nature. I think that this is its strong suit in Arizona. We were just talking about that. Mm -hmm. It's the ultimate Arizona summer wine. It's a great wine for seafood and gazpacho. I agree entirely. Um, I kind of want to pair this with, like, a whole giant heaping bowl of ceviche right now. Uh Um, So we barrel fermented this, the 15 in Old Oak, and they're moving towards staying the steel ferments in the future. So, I I like barrel fermentation. I wish more people did it. In Arizona, there's this kind of like, oh, we need to ferment all of our whites and the steel thing going on. And huh. Which, some, yes. Other grapes, no. I think there is a complexity that's added with that barrel ferment, even if it's a neutral oak.
1: I, I think that's like Uni Blanc or Treviano, whatever you want to call it. I think it's it's so middle of the road. Yeah. It gets really great expression if you add a little bit of oak and a little bit of maybe oxidation, like it. It and you get that that better expression with some grapes through oak and just a little bit of help, just a little nudge on the on the you know aromas. It it becomes a little bit better, but that's just my. No, I I
0: agree, and um, all of the Ugni Blanc that um, Flying Leap planted. Um, that's going to go straight into their brandy production. Which, okay, this is what its major use is for, other than the body for white blends in Italy and France. But I would like to see them just play with a vintage, just to see what it can do out here.
2: Yeah.
0: Oh, okay. and, and instead shove all the Grenache into brandy production because Grenache in Arizona, I'm sorry, Grenache is not Arizona's grape, guys. <laughs> It's not. I've been silent on this for long enough. Unless it's coming from Calibri or it's whole cluster fermented, stop making Grenache. There. I said it. I will deal with the consequences later.
1: (laughs) You wanna. This is a wine geek's fact, and I'll tell you. I learned in Italy that. Like Henry the Sixth married uh, Catherine the Great, no Catherine Medici. So there we go. And so they exchanged grapes. So Italy got Cab Sauv. Okay. And they gave Trebbiano, which is Ugni Blanc, to France. Huh. So they did a switch. So I
0: did not know that.
1: Yeah. So when they so it's like an exchange of of power. Um, can you imagine tra- trading Cabernet Sauvignon for...
0: Treviano?
1: <laughs> so the French turned around and just made brandy with it. <laughs> it's
0: like, what the fuck is this shit? it
1: like, tastes like nothing. Um, I and mean, they could
0: have done so much better giving giving them Sangiovese.
1: Yeah, or it's something else. Anything else. Nebbiolo? Anything. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> Nebbiolo would be... There's so many grapes, uh, like there's like five hundred different grapes in Italy. They could have given literally anything else, but they gave them worst <laughs> thing to the French.
0: Which, which sounds perfectly, <laughs> you know. It's like, oh, they're not gonna do this here. We'll give them Trebbiano. T- hee. hee-, hee- he.
1: And then they brought it in, and uh, Rufino started integrating Capsov into. Um San Giovese. So literally I think Fino started making the first Super Tuscans, if you want to start. And
0: and Chianti is too, to a lesser extent. I yeah. mean that's ten to I actually I think it is ten percent. Mm-hmm. Cab or Colorino. One of the coolest ones I ever had um was a full on hundred percent Coolerino. I found it at, uh, again, another place you need to visit while you're in (laughs) Arizona long-term, if you visit long-term. In Scottsdale, there's this really great wine bar called uh, Casimir's World Wine Bar. And I like to go in there every so often, and I will ask Peter or whoever's the Psalms are, I was like, what's your unicorn today? (laughs) And I was like, what's the weirdest fucking thing you've got on your (laughs) mind right now?
1: That's always great to try.
0: And, uh... One of the times, like, oh, have you ever had a full-on 100% colorino? I'm like, what? No.
1: I don't think anybody has. And That's it's awesome. like, here you go.
0: <laughs> I was just like, dude. And another time I got, um, a, I can't remember the name. It starts with a V. That's from north-central Italy, like, not Valpolicella. It was a single varietal.
2: Uh-huh.
0: Vespolina? Maybe? Uh-huh. That was another fun one. Uh, Zeno Malvro Sparkling Rosé was another fun unicorn. <laughs> um. Oh God, there's been weird unicorns I've picked up from that place. And oftentimes they'll either be like, I'll have a glass of this, or I will buy the bottle and drink part of it here and take it home. Um, mm-hmm. uh, drive home with it, and which always makes for entertaining. Oh, God, there's a cop! Uh, the cork is in the bottle. Okay. Um. But anyway, it's, yeah, it was it was interesting and cool and fun, because, you know, that's one of the things that you would say, like, oh, here's 5% colorino. It's like, okay, so what exactly is it adding? And now that I've had a full one, I can answer. It's imparting color and canon.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Hence the name, apparently.
1: Italians are very straightforward with their naming.
0: Unlike the French. So. <laughs>
1: colorino. That's color.
2: Oh, there we go.
1: There we go. They're not very tricky or thought provoking
2: in that way, which
0: is not a bad bad thing at all. And yeah. then you've got the whole story with Malvasia where you know the Crusaders came, sacked Constantinople, and what is What's all the loot they send back along with all the relics and icons and everything? Oh, here's some grapevines. <laughs> we we drink this stuff while sitting on the patriarch's throne and the emperor's throne. It's great. You should. You guys must try it. <laughs> <laughs> Which is good because otherwise it would have gone extinct. Yeah. When when the Turks came over, the Turk now Turkey now has a uh, a fairly thriving wine industry because it's owned by the state and the state is very, for the most part, has been historically very secular. It's now leaning Islamists because Erdogan is a Gollum. Let's just say he looks like Gollum. He is Gollum.
1: <laughs> Actually, half of my class in Italy are Turkish people. So. We have a couple people: one from Pakistan, oh wow, one from India, one from Kenya, and three Americans, and then three people from
0: Turkey. That's pretty cool. And like I was telling you, on the tasting, Turkish wine is pretty darn good. Mm -hmm. Um, I was very pleased with what I tasted. I ended up bringing fourteen bottles back, um, which made for an entertaining conversation at customs. Yes, I can imagine. um, (laughs) Which went like, which went like this. Wait, why are you bringing so much wine back? Oh, well, I'm uh, a wine critic and wine writer, and I work for a winery in Arizona. Wait, you're you're a wine writer? Okay, so I, I'm trying to plan this dinner for my girlfriend. I want to make her into my fiancé, but she's like a wine sob and I know nothing about wine, but I want to impress her. So this is my the courses I have. What should I pair? And so here I am waiting in line with this line of people gathering behind me. I'm like, okay, so what's course one? Okay, pair... Use this for a white, this for a red, this for a rose, okay. Um, you do white with first course. Rose with second course, finish with a red. Hmm. And then if you got a dessert, okay. Uh, don't go sauternes, Sauternes are super expensive, go with a mall's block because they're they taste like a Sauternes, but they're like a fourth of the price. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he's like, Cool thanks, stamp. <laughs> Didn't have to pay any taxes or anything on it. It was great. And I, and I openly declared all of my online on my customs form. I love it
1: when people, you know, I don't know. I love them when things like
0: that. Yeah, it's it's one of those wonderful kismet things that when when fate intervenes for, for good, I mean, it's proof that there are still small miracles in the world, sort of.
1: No, like, literally last night I was trying to find Thai food in Sedona and I wandered by a wine tasting and I was like, huh, interesting. So I went and got my Thai food and I came back and there were less people and I wandered in and started talking to the lady and she gave me a list of different wineries to check out and wound up in Jerome met you and now we're doing a podcast. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs>
0: Life is wonderful.
1: It's very yeah. but you no, know, it's it's I've been very well educated and well, well not very well educated, but a small amount of education in Arizona wine last two days. And
0: enough to definitely whet your appetite. Yeah. To, to now, here's the question Have you been driving cross country?
1: Yes, I have. Have you
0: been visiting a winery in every state?
1: Uh, the ones that um, I sort of skipped, like Oklahoma. And yeah, <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> but I went to one in New Jersey.
0: Uh, Which one? North
1: Carolina. Oh my gosh, I'd have to pull out the, um, it was right before the bridge. Oh my gosh,
0: what is it called? I have a friend on Instagram who actually is the winemaker for a New Jersey winery, and I thought that that would be hilarious if that was his winery, but I don't know, I can't remember his... We can
1: follow up after, Yeah. but off the top of my head, after two days of wine tasting and six hours of, Yeah. yeah, I'm pretty much, my short-term memory is gone. <laughs> uh, but so, then I hit North Carolina.
0: Um, My favorite North Carolina winery, um, actually, weirdly enough, this ties into Gary again. Hi, Gary. Love you, Gary. Um, sorry you're not here, Gary. This Vermontino is great, Gary. <laughs> I'm
1: sorry, Gary. <laughs>
0: <laughs> He's probably like, fuck you, asshole. <laughs> um, it's Raffaldini, and he actually used to work at Raffaldini in the cellar. Really? And I had a Petit Man saying from there. I had a Sangiovese from there. Another, a Vermentino from there, actually. That was pretty good.
2: Really?
0: Yeah, I was impressed. It's like, you're growing this in North Carolina? How the fuck does that work?
1: What? Is <laughs> but scuba- it's good. Dog. I ran a scuba- Scupperdog.
0: Ah, such a weird grape. It's a very... Yes, musky and kind of sweet and bubblegum.
1: Yes, it, it was very. It, it was something that people should try once, but it wasn't really mine. Yeah. <laughs> my cup of tea, but.
0: Gary used to hate it, but now he likes it because it reminds him of his life in North Carolina. Ah. And so he, he craves a bottle of that now and again.
2: Nice.
0: So. I could see
2: that. Yes. So,
0: yeah, yes. And it was. I've tasted a few different scuppernong wines and scupperdong varietals and strings and they all have that sort of weird musky Mm -hmm. bubblegum thing
1: yeah it's an acquired taste um but once you acquire it it's people really love it yeah Um, but yes so and then i sort of skipped tennessee and oklahoma and then this and then i stopped in arizona so I skipped New, New Mexico. There's
0: good in wine in New Mexico, I will say this. Um, Gruet, um, which is, I think, the best sparkling wine of the U.S., comes from a little vineyard near a small little quirky town called Truth or Consequences, New Mexico. I've been to Truth or
1: Consequences. You've been there? I've been there.
0: Holy shit, you're like the only other person I've met that's <laughs> actually been there. I lived there for a month and a half.
1: <laughs> that's pretty much... Uh, I drove through Truth or Consequences because when I was in graduate school, um, we flew in, so we did this survey with one of the museums, um, and we did it in South America and Mexico, so we drove down from Albuquer- Albuquerque, through Truth or Consequences, into Mexico, then down through South America. Oh, wow. Um, and we collected different mammals. So Oh, cool. We stopped in Truth or Consequences. Was named for a game show.
0: Yes, it was. <laughs> great soaking in the hot springs there. I kind of miss that actually.
1: Yeah, we didn't
2: get to do that.
0: Okay. New Mexico has some good wines. Gray does some great sparkling wines from Pinot Noir and Chardonnay that are on par with some champagnes. Mm. And I don't
1: know why people are calling me. I'm not that popular. Normally. one time i have something to do people want to
0: call me of course that's how it always is <laughs> but uh but yeah there's great wine in new mexico i do recommend popping in there for a visit um i have two friends who i've done a podcast with before the popes uh christine and eric and they are continuously trying to get me to go and visit them in santa fe because they found a lot of cool wineries up there and also near taos i really do need to make the trip because I do like New Mexico. It's my second favorite state after Arizona. And If I couldn't live there, I would be living... If I couldn't live here, I could. I would be living there. Yeah. Uh, I've had wines from Missouri. Okay. I've had wine from Kansas. I was telling you th- this in the tasting room. Ceballe Blanc there is great. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chamberson, if you can find one that's not on American Oak, is great. And Rosé from St. Vincent was great. Nebraska! Yeah,
2: I and I that. almost
0: fucking knew moved to that state for a woman, thank God. A woman. <sighs> I would have left this good, wonderful wine behind.
1: I hadn't, well, not this trip, but I've had wine from Indiana. Not terribly. Eh. <laughs> it was. It's probably like
0: Nebraska. <laughs> yeah. Was, the Tremignette was the only thing I drank that was remotely drinkable.
1: Yes.
0: And I had a dry Vignoles that was tolerable. But I've had better dry Vignoles in Kansas and Missouri. And also a better semi-sweet Vignoles from Arizona. Uh, from just over the mountain, uh, Del Rio Springs. Uh, they just officially released them last weekend, but... Uh, I helped pick their Pinot Noir, which is the only place in Arizona you should be growing Pinot Noirs, Chino Valley, and Paulden, And it was beautiful. I'll show you the pictures later okay. of the the grapes. And they were just beautiful quality. Um, really well cared for vineyard. Like, next to no bird damage, To On top of that, it was just really cool. Um... But uh, as part of the after-harvest, like, let's just sit around and get drunk because this is what wine people do. Oh, well, um, I had brought um, a vineyards that I brought from Kansas mm-hmm. and because I knew that they were doing one. I was like, here, let's drink these cheese side-by-side, side. and I liked that it was better, shockingly, huh. um, which I didn't really expect. because it's like, clearly, these are older vines in Kansas. And they probably had more time to figure out what works. Nope, berries on taste better. Why? I don't know. Um, one of the wines I almost brought for you as a Shiggle, uh, for sh- for Shiggles, <laughs> uh, Shits and Giggles, was going to be a Sauvail Blanc from DA, which to me reminds me a lot of some white burgundies I've tasted.
2: Really? It doesn't
0: have the strong, boxy hybrid character, which is just like, whoa. And here this character is very present in those wines in Kansas and Nebraska and all that thing. It's like, oh. why are the hybrids there doing that, but not here? Oh, is it because these hybrids are being grown in the wrong place all along? Is it the fact that our tour here is better for them, as it turns out? I don't know.
1: So, I don't know. So, as a microbiologist by training, I would... I'd like to see the impact of the microbial microbial populations that are dependent on um, climate.
0: That would be very interesting.
1: So, Arizona most definitely has a different population. And I'd like uh,
0: to... And not only that, it depends on where you're at, because if you go up north of the Colorado Plateau, there's definitely, um, I don't know if you, in all of your studies, heard of the microbial mats that cover some of the desert and some of the slick rock that grow in place over thousands of years, and if you step off the trail, you fuck it up for a millennium.
1: I think... Well, um, I've heard... Some a cryptobiotic
0: crust of- is what it's called.
1: Um, it, it like it's just very different. It's very different, and I'd like to see from from my perspective. That's something an uh, area of research I think Arizona could contribute is is what is their microbial load like? What is the vineyard like versus something like Burgundy or something?
0: I don't know. That would be the person you want to ask on that. If you can do anything with that, would be Michael Pierce of the Southwest Wine Center. Um, that could be your niche to get in here.
1: Mr. Pierce is going to.
0: Oh, he is. Michael Pierce is a wonderful guy. He is another one of my favorite winemakers in the state. Um, Not just saying that because I'm buttering him up. Because (laughs) I really want this awesome person to be in the Arizona industry. Um, But because I really do respect what he's doing, and I respect his wines. His wines are phenomenal. The Gali I think, is my favorite Arizona-Bordeaux blend, uh, which I was telling you about earlier today. Cobb Franck and Merlot. Um, he was, him and his father were also the ones responsible for the grapes that went into the Salvatore Merlot that I was telling you about, too. Uh, which is also tying into where we met today in Echo. Um, remember I was telling you about the Crop Circle vineyard in Wilcox yes. a little bit? That was bought by the Pierce family and is now Rolling View. And so that vineyard is now Michael Pierce's and Dan Pierce's.
1: You're in, in like an Arizona encyclopedia in- of play-o-boy.
0: Yep, but don't ask me about what about Burgundy. I don't know shit about Burgundy.
1: Nobody knows shit about Burgundy.
0: <laughs> Probably true, even the Burgundians.
1: <laughs> Every two vines or two rows of vines are owned by somebody else. Like, Burgundy's Burgundy. But it sounds like, no, just having the conversation with you and, 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 and talking about the differences and... In the history of wine in this area, um, it seems like it's been growing and evolving over the last, you know, 10 years. It's Incredibly.
0: exploded in the last 10. It started kind of that movement and evolving over the last 20. And it really makes me wonder what would have happened if there had not been prohibition. Prohibition killed Arizona completely because as part of our state charter, when we went and became part of the U.S., was state constitution was prohibition. So there were forty-acre vineyards in southeastern Arizona and near Phoenix, and here in the Verde Valley that all got the axe. And it's like, what would those vines have been doing? What mm-hmm. those years of experience that we lost—eighty years of experience we lost—this took eighty years for us to restart. You know what? Where would we have been with those eighty years under our belt? Would it have been the judgment of Paris between Arizona and France instead of California? Who knows? Mm-hmm. But, uh, to, to quote the great philosopher Emeritus of Night Vale Cecil Baldwin, what use is, um... What is the quote? What use is nostalgia for a past that wasn't when we have to live with what did happen? And for that matter, the food court has now been destroyed. Sorry. It's a weird podcast. Think, um... NPR uh-huh. set in a town that was created in The Sims by Stephen King, Neil Gaiman, Terry Pratchett, and H.P. Lovecraft. Uh, wow. That's quirky.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Slash set in Truth or Consequences, New Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, it's those what-if questions that make me wonder, but at the same time, I also wouldn't have been involved, been able to get involved in this Industry in the capacity that I am if we had survived 80 years. Um, because, on the other hand, we might be now as rigid Californians. California is. hmm It's like, oh, really? You're going to grow Grenache in Napa? Why?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Cap-solve. Cap-solve. You need to grow Cabsov in, in Napa. That's what makes the money. Money, dear boy. Money. Mm-hmm. I mean, in Arizona you can still experiment. And there's grapes that are all over the world that I really want to see experimented with in Arizona. Like, uh, I don't know if you're at all familiar with this weird, quirky Georgian varietal called Saperavi. I
1: have not.
0: So, take Sagrantino and Tanat and put them together. And that's kind of what Saperavi tastes like, except... It's so dark that the name literally means ink. Oh. And on top of that, if you ferment it in a in an amphora with no oak whatsoever, it's still going to be as tannic as your Sagrantino that was aged on New French oak. So imagine how tannic a Saperavi would be if it was aged on New French oak. Super tannic. Oh. But yeah, it's it's a favorite grape of mine. And on paper, it seems like it would do well here in Arizona.
1: Okay, so I have a, a wish. Okay. A, a, an inquiry, more like. How about Norella Mascalese?
0: There are people talking about it. Um, the problem is it hasn't really gotten approved by the TTB and Slack. I guess they're working on it or something. Okay. Maybe it has been finally approved, but I don't know. there are people who want to plant that in Arizona because they think it would do well. The one I had was very underwhelming, but I think the heat got to it, and heat, it got heat cooked. Because it was. Uh, there used to be this website that used to be over in Arizona called com, and they had all these cool, weird varietals, and, like, world-class, like, 95-point wines for, like, a third of the price. And so I would buy things from there and get them shipped, and I made the stupid mistake of buying things in summer uh, in Arizona, okay. and they all go through Phoenix, which is uh, the gateway of hell. <laughs> we
1: sit on the dock.
0: And they would sit on the dock for God knows how long. So I'm pretty sure the single neuromalaskalase I had was heat-cooked. And that's why it was so underwhelming, because it was just like, this is like screwed tomato. Um, which I didn't know much about at the time, because this was as I was starting to build my palate and starting to learn. And now I'm like, oh, that's a flaw from VA from heat cook. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I need to, so on my wish list to find new is another Neural Maskelezi. Because, so there are people who want to plant this in Arizona that are of that mindset. So you're not alone in that. Okay.
1: And no, it just you have the volcanic rock, you have, you have the heat, you have the sun, it, like, it, it's like a, and the elevation. Mm-hmm.
0: Which on that note is why someone actually planted um, the main grape in Lacrima del Christi. De Vesuvio. I can't remember the name of it. I want to say it's Cody de Volpa, but I could be wrong. There's someone that actually planted that up in Sedona, huh. or just south of Sedona in uh, Villalot Creek. Joey Estrada is in charge of that vineyard, I think. Um, I can't remember if he planted the white Cody de Volpa or the red, huh. offhand. But he's planting it because he's like, oh, this seems a perfect fit. I would like to see Zinomavro here. Uh, for example, there's one... No, in my researches, there's one Greek grape that on paper seems like it would be great, but would be horrible here. And that's uh, Agiorotikio. Because Agiorotikio is prone to potassium deficiency. And we have very low levels of potassium in our soils here. So that would be a no, this grape won't work here. But San Mavro, what I've read about it is that the higher elevation you plant it, the spicier it gets. Mm-hmm. So at Wilcox, you're already planting at 45 Hundred feet. Now imagine you know that is a baseline for which is higher than anyone's planting it in Greece. What will it do? <laughs> How spicy will it be? You know that would be an interesting experiment.
1: I just yeah, the the concept of terroir is very funny. You know if you talk to people in the states, they're like, oh, if you plant a. a something in a different environment, it's going to grow differently. Thanks for that information. You know, if you plant uh, something in Antarctica, it's going to grow differently from something in the Caribbean. It, yeah. Like, it's going to have a different... And so, but the really, the idea is that it's going to reflect that, the place where it's grown and how it's made. Um, which I think Arizona has this great potential because you guys are experimenting so much with how to make things. You're combining things from different continents, from you know, France and Spain and Italy and all these different varietals that would never be combined in the old world. And, and you're mixing them together and you're getting some great... Reviews. My
0: favorite example of that, by the way, again, sad that you're not going to get to taste it right now, but <laughs> um, maybe you'll still be there the next time, is the unsanctioned by uh, Oddity Wine Collective. Um, Actually, all of their three blends are really odd. But this is the oddest, because it's 50% Sangiovese with 50% Petite Syrah. And it's fan-fucking-nominal. It's amazing. And everyone's like, you did what now? And they made this blend by blind tasting different blend possibilities. And they were like, you know how to, Oh, this one's the greatest. What's the blend? It's 50 Sangiovese and 50 Petite Sirah. Wow. But it tastes good. We're going to do it. Uh, their white is 20% Viognier and the rest Riesling. Um, their other blend that I was... I think I was talking about the SGZ. I mm-hmm. was um, telling you or the woman that was in the taste room just before you about it is Syrah, Grenache, and Zinfandel from two parts of the state. Mm -hmm. And so it's just crazy awesome blends. Uh, And again, we have this freedom to do this in Arizona and just be like, let's do what tastes good.
1: Yeah. Which is
0: kind of what went behind the Jerome Red, too, which I know you took home. Yeah. I'm going
1: to present that. That's very good. It's like it was one of those things that catch you off guard. Um. And you just don't expect it. But that that blend
0: is actually my fault, by the way. <laughs> um. So the story behind that, and I'll pour for you the carbonic cab. Oh dear me! There's still vermentino in my glass. I need to fix that.
1: Oh yes, most definitely. <sighs> my precious. I don't know if your, your followers want to continue to.
0: My podcast regularly lasts an hour, so.
1: Wow.
0: So, Carbada macerated, Cabernet Sauvignon, Amphora aged Amphora fermented. Wow. Um, very, very small, small batch. Where's
1: this from?
0: The fruit for this came from Rolling View Vineyard. Again, down south near Wilcox. But it was made at the college. Wow. I guess the Amphora was provided by a four by Tom Schumacher. Uh, but Michael Pierce provided the fruit. Uh, so the drum run. Um, we were trying to do two different blends. We had just made the Dios Mio and set aside that as a final blend. We had these six barrels left, and we're like, what are we going to do? Okay, let's try and make two really good blends. We couldn't. Mm-hmm. And so we're like, oh, what do we do? Oh, our palates are fatigued. Let's let's go to lunch. And Wilcox, that means let's go to the Burger King, which is the, the epitome of high cuisine in Wilcox. Because while well, the wines in Wilcox are great, the food culture is not up at all. Um, it's kind of a truck stop town in, in that aspect in terms of and there's a couple of good dinner places. There's a great Mexican restaurant. Um, there is one good lunch place called The, the Break Shop but that was that takes too long for us and we were in a hurry. So Burger King. And then there's also the Red Place which is great for dinner. But anyway. So I can't remember shit about anything else but I can damn well have a photographic memory for almost every single one I've had. It's the weirdest superpower and lamest superpower ever. Oh. Um,
1: Better than mine.
0: So, well, okay, what's your superpower?
1: My superpower. Um, I, oh gosh, my superpower. It, it's more like um, figuring out uh, how things interconnect. Like it's
0: that is a much more useful superpower. Like, I don't know what you're talking about than remembering every single one. That is a very useful superpower, especially in,
1: in uh, oh, the shit. wine. No, I spilled
0: wine on myself. Okay, now we're even. <laughs> but anyway, so it dawned on me, well, actually, if we combine five out of these six barrels, that's going to be a really cool toolbar-driven red blend that's really going express Wilcox. So I tell Jason, our winemaker and owner of Passion Cellars this, and he's like, eh, we'll give it a shot. So we do it as a test run, and it's like, oh, this is good. This is really good, actually. Mm-hmm. What if we use the other barrel of cab that had the French oak aging instead of this one that was neutral? Will it make it better? It did. And so, like, okay, we'll do that. So. Oh, no. So yeah. it's it's 90% my fault, and the rest of it was him taking my idea and actually making it better, which is good.
1: That's how synergy works.
0: Yeah. Um. Uh, That's one of the reasons why I like Jason so much is that if I have crazy ideas, he he listens to them because he knows that they'll usually pay off well in the long run.
1: Now, like, when I tasted this, I was very impressed by how well-balanced and you just don't hear about Arizona wines outside of Arizona. Which is unfortunate. It it is unfortunate. Um, And just uh, tasting in different Tasting rooms over the last two days. I'm like, oh my gosh, and that particular wine was one of the ones that I was like, ah, I gotta take this back to, to expose people in in Italy, people that I'm have I've going to school with, my my classmates, my instructors, and and let them know because they talk about the Finger Lakes. Oh God! But fuck, I hate the Finger Lakes, but that's oh just God, the, you know they love the Finger Lakes. And like, Why? And they like organ pinots. And Why? Because they, they they don't know.
0: I, my opinion of Oregon pinots is if I wanted to taste dirt, I would go outside and get a handful and eat it. Mm. When I drink an organ pinot, it takes me back to when I was five and eating dirt. Mm. Or when I was 19 and, and a geology major and licking rocks. <laughs> <laughs> and
1: so they have these ideas for They've been exposed, and that's the only thing I attribute it to. Is like myself, they've never been exposed to Arizona wines and, and how how good they could be. So I'm gonna take some of these back and, and and maybe open somebody's palates and somebody's eyes. I would
0: again. I would love to hear feed the, any feedback good or bad, because any feedback is good feedback. So anyway, this is from the Southwest Wine Center, which is uh, kind of the Southwest equivalent to where you're going, uh, from what I understand. Um, small College they have a vineyard on site as well, um, but they've their first estate vintage just got released Sunday, Saturday, Saturday, and that was a Tempranillo. That was oh. awesome. Um, Again, you're not staying around here long enough to meet all of these wonderful wines.
1: <laughs> I'm sorry
0: it's okay you'll be back
1: i will be back
0: but um part of this is literally again they have one person that's kind of doing the psalm angle and then you have one person that's doing the chemistry angle and then one person michael pierce is teaching the winemaking angle but all the wines are made by the students of the college specifically so this was student made this is for them and carbonic maceration for those in the crowd who don't know what carbonic maceration is I'm not super familiar with it, so if I get this wrong, please comment and tell me why I'm wrong. Um, But don't yell at me. Be gentle. (laughs) Um, So basically, it's doing it in a rich CO2 environment, so where it's more or less an enzymatic fermentation that takes place within the grapes. Then after that's done, you press the grapes and then ferment it as you would a normal wine, and it's often used for a release within that year, like Beaujolais Nouveau. (laughs) So this is kind of like an Arizona Beaujolais take but on Cabernet Sauvignon, which is...
1: Spectacular.
0: Yeah. And it also has this really herby, minty, fruity, bright nose that's just...
1: I get strawberry.
0: It's like a Strawberry Jolly Rancher.
1: Yeah, it like, it's pretty spectacular. I don't even like Beaujolais. I don't. I like this. Oh, good. Um, you know, it doesn't have that weird...
0: Herby yeah. thing.
1: Um has more of a fruit. It has herbs, which it does, but...
0: But it's not as, like, overtly herbaceous as a lot of the usually Nouveau tends to be. Yeah. This
1: is,
0: uh, very... Huh. Back when Perfect. I was learning wine, my mom, um... Bless her heart. She tries so hard with, with my wine interest, but she usually backfires it horribly. Um... Uh, she would, whenever the new Beaujolais was out, she would follow the news. Like, oh, we need to get the new Beaujolais for, for you, Cody. And she would get the new <laughs> Beaujolais, and I would drink it. And I remember thinking it was okay. It was, it was never my favorite, but it was part of the year. And yeah. it was my parents helping me and, and encouraging me, which is always an important thing. Yeah. Um, you were telling me earlier your parents were very, <laughs> for what the fuck are you doing type thing.
1: Oh no, it's um I think they've uh, uh yeah. Um They are very uh they don't understand me, but they understand that uh um I do things that I'm passionate about and if you have passion you have success and that Everything will work out, but they don't understand wine. They don't understand my passion for wine. They don't understand, but they—they're supportive in the fact that it's something that I want to do. But they're not. They don't get it. They're not wine drinkers. They,
0: my parents have stopped drinking wine dramatically too. But
1: you know, I'm like, oh, you tried this Brunello? They're like, what? Huh? It's like this is fantastic you know I got this bottle unlabeled bottle from this, my teacher who makes great wine and you should try this really like, okay can I have my Pinot grigio no <laughs> <laughs> drink the Brunello <laughs> <laughs> but so they try and that's all you can hope for you know sometimes uh, that's the best you can do you can support your Children and all the random stuff that they do, and hopefully, it'll work out.
2: Yeah. But,
1: um, if I crash and burn after I come back from Italy, they're like, oh, I'm gonna do wine, and you know, it doesn't work out, then.
0: Well, the thing is, the wine industry is booming not just here in Arizona, yeah. but really everywhere now. I mean, you. you If you're trying to find places that are making good wine, then, yes, it it can be more difficult and more of a narrow search. Uh, So you'd be limited to California, parts of Oregon, parts of Washington, Arizona. I would include New Mexico. Um, I would include Colorado in that list as well. And I've heard lots of good things about Texas wine. I've never tasted a good Texas wine. But that's because I, I honestly think I've been drinking the wrong Texas wines. Because people, when I tell them which Texas wines I drink, they're like, really, you drank from that winery? Why? Why would you do that? That winery is horrible. You should have drunk from this winery instead. And I'm like, oh, oh, well, well, would have been nice to know.
2: Yeah.
0: And then I have my friend, uh, Sarah, who who kind of used to do what I do for Arizona, for the Midwest, for Kansas and, and Missouri. And she was tasting recently in, in Texas, and it was really... And, said, dude, I'm really impressed with the stuff I've been tasting. And I'm like, okay, I need to take, give it a second look. And if people are raving about it, then clearly there's something I'm missing. I need to find out what I'm missing. So I would include potentially Texas on that list. And I guess you could include the Finger Lakes, but why?
1: Mm. Unless you like Sweet <laughs> Long
0: Island would probably be a better bet. I had a decent dry Cab Franc from there. But, you know, yeah. why would you want to go to the East Coast?
1: This Beaujolais is a lot better than the Finger Lakes that I've had, but I'm not a big sweet wine person. Yeah. So, I, I really like this. And it was made by... College. Students! Students!
0: Students at the Southwest Wine Center, yeah. the Viticultural Immunology Program. Tom Schumacher, I know, provided the, the amphora, because I guess he was a potter. Um, Michael Pierce provided the grapes. I don't know who provided the idea or actually set their fingers into the wine, but from the pictures I've seen, it was largely a group project.
1: Wow. It's, it's, <coughs> this is... <coughs> Excuse me. No, no like, yeah, this is pretty spectacular. <laughs> well, it's, not, it's, this is something I definitely would buy, and... Or, uh, like if you're having a picnic or something, like. God, like, this is
0: like the perfect fucking picnic wine.
1: Like, like if you're going outside and just a little bit of chill on it, and and it, it would be fantastic if you just had a picnic basket and sat outside. This at a concert or something. This this would be.
0: And it comes fantastic. in a split size, so it's the perfect size to sneak into a concert.
1: This is true. <laughs>
0: Alright, I'm expecting a, a message from Phil at some point. It's like the Southwest Wine Center does not condone sneaking wines into into concerts or movie theaters, but if you want to go ahead, I guess you snooze <laughs>
1: ours. <laughs> no, it like Phil has has led the team to make great wine. So he should be proud of himself. I don't know. Just great wine in Arizona. So I'm gonna come back after Italy and see see. How I can
0: get involved. Yeah, you you should, and there's definitely plays you can get involved. I think with your microbial angle, um, that would be a potential angle. I would actually, honestly, approach the Southwest Wine Center about teaching microbiology in wine. Ooh. Maybe. I mean, it, it's, you know, the yeast you can do. <laughs>
2: I definitely can do these. <laughs> I'm sorry I couldn't resist.
1: <sighs> oh my gosh. No. It's yeah, and and promote the the Arizona wine industry because I I don't know if the gap in like marketing or PR or something. There's there's some fundamental gap.
0: Betting it's it you is know? PR marketing because California they've had these vineyards for ever and ever. They've paid off all their bills on equipment. They don't have loans on the land. They're not paying off mortgages on the land or anything. Mm -hmm. Um, So they can afford to throw money into advertisement and that sort of thing. No one in Arizona really can except for Maynard. Uh,
1: What about... uh, So California got its name from beating the crap out of the French. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, Is there... You know, blind tastings. You know, like the There's pandemic. a
0: few that take place, but by and large, we we can't do that sort of judgment of Paris thing again mm-hmm. because Wine Spectator and Wine mm-hmm. Enthusiast, they all do it for us. And mm-hmm. um, I honestly suspect that a lot of them are in the pocket of these winemakers in California and Oregon and Washington who don't want to see competition. Um and there was a, a lot of hubbub when Arizona finally got its first 90 points, uh, which was a Syrah uh, made from Calibri fruit, which is a vineyard that, oh my gosh, from everything I've heard about it, it's fucking paradise. Hmm. And it's beautiful, it's up in the mountains, it's isolated, it's in this little pocket of Arizona and the Chiricahuas and all volcanic soil and Precambrian granite and on old mine sites. And so those mines and minerals are imparting spices into the wine and just great, great wines coming out of this vineyard. Like I said earlier, it's the only vineyard I will really regularly drink Grenache from. Because it's the only vineyard that does Grenache good. Regularly. Again, sorry to harp on Arizona Grenache, guys, but I don't like it. (laughs) Um, Unless it's a rosé. Then it's okay. Grenache is a great rosé grape in Arizona nebbiolo doesn't do so well it doesn't do the super tannic thing generally
2: mm-hmm.
0: here like it does in the piedmont it's a great rosé grape sangiovese does great tannic reds and great non-tannic reds but also does great rosé i would say those are our three rosé grapes yeah. um so far anyway getting back to Calibri. um but then there was you know a lot of other arizona who were like okay let's submit our wines and you know, this message came back from Wine specters, we're not reviewing any other Arizona wines at this point because of concern that something was wrong about this vintage. And everyone's like conspiracy theories abounded in the Arizona wine industry. Like, they're in the pay of California or, you know, maybe and snuck in California fruit or all these other weird things and finally the, you know, Wine is like, okay, we're accepting Arizona wines again so a bunch of us sent it and uh did you taste the heaven South acre at all yes yeah. passion yes. 87 Wine spectator
1: it was like i i really prefer the one that I bought
0: we didn't submit that one
1: Ah. Uh, um,
0: we were going to wait for the next round i guess jason said
1: no it it was good but um uh, it was the one that I bought was very much i, I prefer it
0: yeah but i don't know if anyone this round got 90s or 90 pluses or if suddenly no one is doing it again okay then everyone's the conspiracy theories are going to start again but my my view on the point system and this is why I I don't put a point value in the lines of my blog I just don't uh, it's because it's kind of like whose line is it anywhere the points are all made up and nothing really matters it's, yeah. it's you
1: know, a random arbitrary system based uh-huh. on somebody's personal view of what?
0: yeah and my view, it's not the same as your view. True. Which is not the same as Bob Park, Rob, Robert Parker's view, which is not the same as whoever's doing the reviews of Arizona wine. Steven it's, Spurrier. Yeah. You know, it's not the same. Yeah. So, I you know, which is kind of why I, I hit on the wine personification idea, which is, A, it's something I already did. Like, if this wine was a person, what would they be like? Mm-hmm. Um, so it gives you, like, okay, if you were drinking with this... If, This person was a wine. Let me reverse that.
1: Oh no, I know this game. My Italian professor who screams at me about tasting wine does it. The boot instructor. The boot instructor classifies people by wine.
0: What did he classify you as?
1: Syrah. Uh, uh, Cote d'orotti Syrah.
0: Do you have any tattoos?
1: I do not.
0: I will disagree with him then. No, so... Because to me, Coat Roti, Syrahs always have... Or Coat Roti style, Syrahs always are tattooed.
1: Yeah, so, like... It, so, no, you... You and him should have a conversation about... I,
0: I would love <laughs> to have a conversation with him, actually. That sounds fantastic. You guys have the
1: same... I would also
0: love to see what he would categorize me as.
1: Oh. He, he thinks himself of a, a... A Pinot Noir...
0: So he's tiny and whiny And, and a bit gothy Not gothy but, and, and, but wishes he was gothy And kind of melodramatic <laughs> Okay so maybe him and I Have something in common then Because <laughs> I, I could see you Potentially as a Sarah, But to me most Seurahs are also Tattooed For some weird reason huh. I don't know why it's kind of like lounging pennant models in my mindset, I, I guess. I don't
1: know what that means, but.
0: <laughs> I don't know. Just like pretty and vivacious and, and intelligent and erudite and often reading weird esoteric philosophical texts. And...
1: Yeah. Well, um, no, but. So, yes, there are multiple. There are different people from different cultures that have the same philosophy about. Personalities and
0: personifying, yeah, which which is great because I think that's more meaningful to someone who's reading a wine review. It's like okay, this this number means... you know, oh great, eighty five. Well, that's like a low that's like a low B. Should I really bother with this? But if I tell someone that this wine is like you know, personified, it's kind of like your best friend that you've known since childhood, and you've just had a bad day, and she's calling you up and like, hey, let's go see a movie. Mm-hmm. and you decide to go for a night on the town and all dress up, and that's what it's like. This wine is like, it's like your best friend, platonic best friend of the opposite gender, you know, all dress for a night on the town.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, oh, okay, that sounds like it would be friendly and nice and approachable.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Which it is. Which to me is most San Giovese. And your glass is empty again.
1: Oh
0: no. More of the carbonic?
1: The carbonic is fantastic. Thank
0: you. You're welcome. Oh. Um, now, I really, really dig this, and one of my friends that was with me most of the day on Saturday hated this wine. Really? She was like, "It's too herbaceous, and it's not like it's supposed to be, and it's not a true Beaujolais." And I don't
1: know. I'm I'm not, I and mean, this is where I probably differ from the Italians a great deal. And I show myself as a true <laughs> Californian. I don't think things should be typical. If they're good, they're good. Yeah. Um, and this this is good it, it could be. Which raises the
0: question and uh, now we're getting into deep philosophy let me try that sentence again. Now we're getting into deep philosophy. What is good yeah. in a wine?
1: Oh. Wow, I guess that's really dependent on who you are and the cultural perspective, perspective that you come from. You know, Italians tend to like things that are more bitter, more tannic, more acidic, than something you'd find in California, which is more fruit forward, more Mm -hmm. round, more approachable. So I think it would definitely have to do with your cultural background um, and what what you were introduced to, what you learned to enjoy, what you like. Um, For me, uh, this, this is a great wine, because it's really well-balanced, it's light, it's uh, has a lot of very red fruit, which I really enjoy, it's very herbaceous, which you don't, I expect from the white, but not necessarily from red. and it, it's just very surprising, which I, I I really like in a wine. I like when a wine surprises me. So, with a Beaujolais, I, I don't expect some of those characters. Um, and when I find it, I'm like, this is unique, this is something I enjoy. Um, and maybe that's the Californian in me that I, I like, things that are atypical, but for me, that's what... a a good one is. That's, that's something that's well balanced, that's good, that tastes, fundamentally tastes good, but also it's surprising and is something new for me to, to enjoy. Um, you know, for other people it might be more traditional. It might be, this is typically what a Chianti is. This is typically what a Bordeaux is, you know. It has to fit in this, this sort of bracket. And if that's true, it's a good wine for them. It doesn't make one better than the other. It's just a different perspective. But for me, this is surprising and so I find it very good. But that's just my perspective and I like that
0: answer. I think it's a it's a very good answer. And and that's one of the things why I like about wine more than beer, is because beer I have found does isn't generally bringing forth as much discussion. Hmm. Um, you've got the, the people that are blindly following me. Oh, Pliny the Elder is the best beer ever. Hmm. I tasted Pliny the Elder. I'm like, fuck is this shit? <laughs> this is horrible. This is like every other shitty IPA I've ever <laughs> tasted. Um, hoppy. It's, it's very it's, hoppy. This wine, this beer is hoppy to paraphrase psalm <laughs> but uh you know for me what what a good wine is is sometimes it is a wine that fits the norm of a specific region that I like mm-hmm. you know like an Arizona Malvasia follows these standard characteristics which I like okay I like that standard set of characteristics in an Arizona Malvasia I like that standard characteristics in Malvasia in general that's to me a good Malvasia
2: mm-hmm.
0: um but I also like surprising different quirky things, like this carbonic macerated cabernet, which is Denbujelet style. This is a good wine. It's fascinating, it's intriguing, it's and to talk. know the story of this and how it's deeply outside the box. And I was telling them what they need to do next time, next year, is do an amber wine and then amphora. Do it old school, Georgian style.
1: Oh nice.
0: And I was telling Phil and Ryan and And John and Steve this, and they're like, we might have to do that. That's a fascinating idea. We need to research more of this. You know? And I think that that would be amazing. It's like, okay, let's see what one of the oldest styles of winemaking in the world, this Georgian Kaveri amphora fermentation under the ground... Essentially, obviously, they wouldn't be doing it under the ground, but, you know, mm-hmm. that same sort of idea. What would that be like with an Arizona Malvasia or an Arizona Viognier or... Well, no, not Arizona Viognier. Viognier would be horrible, horrible for an orange wine. Um, Trebbiano. Yeah, well, it would be great to do a Trebbiano, but we're three years off from the first harvest. Um, but we'd be, you know, Arizona Malvasia or Arizona Roussan or Marsan okay. or something. You know, what would that be like?
1: So, I think, I don't know. So, from amphora is another hot topic. So, um, biodynamic wines, organic wines, and amphora are really big hot topics in Italy. Really? Yes. People are going back to um, fermentation amphora, like. There was a, I don't know, a conference that a lot of the winemakers I know went to um, about fermentation and amphora. It was a three-day conference and they all were very excited about this new uh, different techniques and trying to employ them and bio- being organic. The, the use of uh, not using pesticides and things like that. Um, so these are all very cutting edge uh, things that are that are going on in Italy that are also going on um, here in Arizona. So you have that parallel that I think it's incredible. It's completely independent, you know.
0: Yeah. John Marcus, like I was telling you, tried to do or did do biodynamic farming, in both of his vineyards, uh, Rolling View, is not biodynamic farmed anymore. Um, but it was when he controlled it. So those crops or ones that I poured you earlier were biodynamically formed farmed um, as far as or, or certified organic there's only one certified organic vineyard in Arizona right now and that's a Granite Granite Creek Vineyard in Chino Valley which has produced one of the more interesting Chardonnays that I've enjoyed in the state but the problem is on top of that is that they also don't do sulfites which is bad I think in your winemaking, you need to do a little bit of sulfite additions.
1: So they're not doing even copper sulfite?
0: No. Wow. Sulfite free, aside from natural sulfites. So the problem is buying a bottle and taking it off the vineyard is, is very much a a lottery. Yeah. Sometimes you hit the jackpot, sometimes you don't. Wow. Um, and I have hit the jackpot there once and tried again and ended up getting not happy with
1: what I got sounds like french wine. yeah
0: it can be Uh, I think that I I love the idea of doing organic organic, and biodynamic is a very very interesting concept that no one's really explored since John Marcus in Arizona um whether it's because everyone decided we don't like what he's doing or whether because this is crazy we don't want to get involved or, or why I don't really understand why no one's doing biodynamic farming in Arizona um that I'm aware of anymore um But I think that Amphor Aging has a lot of potential. And I know Maynard is thinking about experimenting with Amphor Fermenting. Mm -hmm. Uh, The college just did with this wine that's in our glasses right now. uh, Which is also so much lighter than an average cab.
1: It's It's
0: almost rosé. It
1: is. It is a very... I I would not classify this as even a medium-bodied wine. It, it, It is... Like, one step above Rosé. Yeah. It, it's, it's a light-body red. It's a light-body but this is fantastic.
0: Like... You know what this reminds me of? Um, earlier this year, I had a Pinot Um which is... Or Pinot Ennui. It's a weird French grape that's... Mm-hmm. It tasted almost exactly like this. Um and I wonder if that was made the same way with carbonic maceration. I couldn't find really any information on this wine. I literally found it at Pasola Cradelli yeah. and went, Oh, I've never heard of this grape, I need to try this and then drank it and then found another bottle that got drunk at a um so me and my buds in the industry here, we do something twice a year or at least So far twice a year. we call it the hipster varietal party. (laughs) The idea behind this party is let's get the weirdest shit we can find, bring it all together in one place, and drink it and build our palates. But the problem is we invariably have more wines than we can soberly drink, and so after a certain point it becomes let's get drunk. (laughs) So it's done with the best of intentions and, and lots of toasting to the industry, but in the end it's... But by the last wines of the night, no one can, other than me, if I'm drinking them, can remember them. And even then, for me, that's where my photographic memory of wine starts to tear away at the fringes. It's like, I remember this one, I remember liking it. I remember these three characters, but I don't remember all the other complexities of it. See, in
1: Italy, I host a dinner every Sunday um, where... I have friends that are culinary students that are studying to be chefs. They come and they prepare the meal. Um, we have several different wine students and we bring a new wine. Every every week a couple random outliers. And we taste. And we try to pair the food with the wine and uh, try to grow our, our palates that way. So it's sort of the same thing. Um, it's up a
0: little bit more reasonable. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, if we drink a lot of wine, we tend to have food with it. Yeah. So, like, it's, it's more... It's, it's the same idea, though. It's, it's trying things that are out of the <clears throat> box. Trying Which
0: is the only way you're going to build your palate anyway. is by trying literally anything and everything. Uh, and you know, I get these people that come into the tasting room and be like, oh, I only like this. And I try to say, well, we don't have this, but this is kind of like. like no, I'm gonna go, and then they leave,
2: mm-hmm. and
0: it's like, I'm sorry, I don't have a stainless steel chardonnay in the tasting room right now, but if you tried this, VA blend, you'll like it because yeah. it has a lot of the same characteristics, and some that are different. Yes, but you might like those things that are different a little bit outside the box. Yeah. If you don't, okay, fine. That's that's okay, but at least you tried. Yes and I I like to think that if I'm ever in that stage where someone gives me a wine and I'm like, oh dear god, no, I don't want to ever touch this, unless it's a Concord. But even then, weirdly enough, I've had one or two okay Concords. I won't say decent, because I'm still not sure there is such a thing. (laughs) But I've had okay Concords, where, actually one of them was from um, the vineyard that I was just talking about that did the organic fruit. Um, Granite Creek Vineyards wants it a sparkling, uh, Concord. Blush. It was okay. I would have drunk it. If I had woke up with that in bed one morning, one, I would have wondered why did this get in the bed in the first place, but I would
1: have kicked it out. (laughs) How How did I fall asleep with this bottle of wine? Um, I can see that. Um, but yes. I think that for us, for somebody who's just learning and trying, and it, it, it's all about uh, every different winemaker, every different winery. It has a different approach. You know, this Boujelet sort of—it's not even a Boujolet, it's a
0: Boujelet-esque.
1: Yes, the Arizona take on Boujelet. Yeah. Um, There's
0: only one other winemaker that tried anything like this this year, and what they did was they did one weird thing. Instead of Amphora fermentation, they put it in a can. And it was made from Aldeatico. I haven't tried it, mostly because it was sold out before I got a chance to get down there and try it. I have held a can in my hand, but could not take it home because it was at F&B and they don't have a license that allows you to take your bottle or wine off and buy it there and take it off unless it's open and you drink some of it. Yeah. Which, since it was before my shift working the Tasty Room in Scottsdale, I could not do. Oh. Because that was me alone. And I would have been like, okay, I'm going to drink half this can of wine and take notes and then go to work. That seems like a bad idea. <laughs> I second that. Yeah, so... My, my hope is that the cans will still be there when... Elizabeth comes in early January, um, and then when I pick her up from the airport, we'll get coffee or get her coffee because she's taking red eye from Rhode Island here, and then we'll go to lunch at F&B and share the can of the carbonic macerated Aliatico, and I will take notes, and she'll be like, "Why are you taking notes and not holding my hand?" And I'll be like, "Because this is a new wine. It's a new varietal. I've never even had an Aliatico before." No. Wait, scratch that. I have had an Aliado but it was a rosé. Sounds like um, you have a very good girlfriend who
1: is very supportive.
0: She she is surprisingly supportive, which is uh, I'm not used to. <laughs> um,
1: Appreciate
0: it. the The last, the last girlfriend I had. There's a reason why I refer to her as the Carapocalypse. Apocalypse. Um, eh. she was not. Terribly supportive, and I would have ended up moving to Nebraska to be with her, um, which would have been horrifying for for Long. But uh, my backup plan was to start a brew shop, huh. uh, a brewery supply shop, which would have also gotten me yelled at because she was gluten intolerant. But you know, I need to do something uh, with with what I know. But and either way, anyway, that's then. Before that, I told you about the woman who's like, oh, when I go to Arizona, we need to get you a real job. So I'm not used to this level of support from a woman, which is very, very strange. I'm
1: just saying.
0: I know. You should, you should appreciate it. I, 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 I kind of am, but at the same time, I'm also wondering, like, what's your angle? I'm naturally suspicious. Which is bad, yeah. I know. That's bad. And I know she's going to be listening to this, but she already knows this. Because I've that's told her bad. this, that I'm not used to this, and it's disconcerting to have someone that's very supportive.
1: You shouldn't question it. If somebody is in your corner, you should let them be in your corner. Anyway, so back to wine.
0: So back to wine.
1: (coughs) Cheers. Salute.
0: To supportive people.
1: Supportive people. And great wine.
0: And great wine.
1: And when you find this person, Phil, who made this wine.
0: I don't know if it was Phil who made it. Phil is the manager of the tasting room there. Because it actually has a working operational tasting room.
1: So, tell Phil he nailed it. This, like, for me, if I found my way back this way, I, I, I definitely would buy a case of this one. This is this Bouchelet. I don't know that you can
0: even, there's a limit actually, you can't buy a case because there was a limit of three per person. That's like, how few were made.
1: This is ins. like, wow. Like,
0: Okay, so guys at the Southwest Center, Southwest Wine Center, whoever, all of you who made this wine, all of you who were involved, you totally nailed it. Do it again, please. In, In a bigger amphora.
1: Yes, larger quantity. <laughs> uh, do it with
0: two amphora. Do it with two different wines. Like, do an amber wine and then do one like this. Please.
1: You, like this is, this Phil. Make it happen. Like, he, yeah. Whatever direction, whatever this is, this is great
0: wine right here. No, I, I dig this. I'm going to ve- well. The, the thing is, of course, the style of wine doesn't age well, so I have to drink my bottle of it soon.
2: Yes. But I know,
0: or my other bottle, because I bought two. Because I knew it's like, holy shit, this is good. I need to buy two.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> and it's like, oh god, I'm gonna I'm going to be very sad when I drink this other bottle. But I know that if I don't drink this other bottle before, like, the end of January, it's going to not be good, and I will be sad either way. Yes. So it's like, fuck, what do I do?
1: You drink the bottle.
0: <laughs> so, so my tentative plan is actually I, um, I'm going to, no, the problem is with what my parents are doing for Christmas, it's not going to pair, because they're doing prime rib. This is not going to work with prime rib. i us start with a little bit left.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's going
0: to end badly for me. Oh. I, I have another bottle of this. Oh. It's okay. Remember? <laughs> this is going to be the only time you get to experience this bottle, so... This is... You should have more than I do.
2: Oh,
0: no. Oh. Actually, I should get a happy picture of you with this. <laughs> Tell Phil but I will tell the entire thing. gang at the Southwest Wine Center. Wait, okay. I did the fucking one step thing again. We <laughs> pick
1: this up there,
0: sir. And then with Flash. So... Smile, don't blink. That was way out of focus. There we go, I think. Yay! Anyway...
1: So I think we should probably conclude our
0: yes before we get to the Chateau Nifty Pop, and we
1: <laughs> we'll get to the Chateau. And we will,
0: and but by then it will degenerate into madness.
1: <laughs> madness. Kind of conversations about wine.
0: But uh, well, we still have a little bit of this left. Yes, we do. Let's finish this off, and then we'll close it off. because
1: <sighs> and if you're really interested, I have a uh, Polly Pume... Um, Jesus. I can't even think of name. Polyfume Jesus? That's really interesting. <laughs> a Jesus in my car. Um, I have to go downstairs and get it. Uh, Savignon Blanc.
0: Oh, I haven't had a poly... Uh, a polyfuse. Or no, polyfume. Which <laughs> reminds me of a story that Emil told me last night. Of dining with these southern rich lawyers. And I'll have a bottle of a no. <laughs> it's just like, oh god
1: <laughs> It's the opposite it's No. polyfume. Polyfume. Um so if you would like we can open it, but after this much wine i don't well,
0: know. We probably should not finish it.
1: Yes. <laughs>
0: I mean I live in town and I start work late at ten thirty, so I have time to kill before and, and I don't
1: normally get hangovers. Okay,
0: so the shot enough to pop, and let's see where we go. Yeah. If we decide to continue on to bad ideas and drink more wine. Shate <laughs> enough
2: to pop. So There's
0: never such thing as enough enough to pop or shot enough shot enough to pop. <laughs> okay, we've generate into wine puns. This, well, to be fair I'd make wine buns anyway, but into really bad wine puns. So I
1: had okay. So I have four different wine professors in Italy, um, and one of them was teaching the world of wines, uh, which is basically old world wine, which is basically French wine.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So <coughs> we did not have shut enough to pop to taste, um, and so the one professor came in because. I don't know why, and he wanted to taste the wine with us, versus this professor who was teaching. So it was this like professor-off, this complete Italian. I know more wine than you do. Um, competition, where they were they were tossing, talking about tasting notes one after the other, and it was a very big debate about Chateau Nectarop. Um, where they, they were talking about Chateau Neftepop for like 20 minutes and we we had nothing to taste. So I'd never tasted it, so I bought this bottle. And so I'm going to share it with you. Oh, so thank you. So taste it. Um, but uh, ever since then, ever since this uh, huge Italian argument about Chateau Neftepop, <laughs> I've wondered what it tastes like. And so... Hopefully, after we finish this wonderful
0: wine from... um, The Southwest Wine Center. It's going to
1: be... uh, We're going to try... And I still have
0: Vermentina left, but... Jesus, we can't
1: finish the Vermentina.
0: Well, I'll take that to Gary and he'll feel okay.
1: Poor
0: Gary. Love you, Gary. (laughs) So, my relationship with Gary is so ridiculous and sardonically flirty that my girlfriend actually was like do I have to worry about you and Gary? (laughs) I'm just like, no, that's just how we are. And his wife just goes along with it and just shakes her head every time we're together drinking. I palms vociferously.
1: I think it's called a bromance. Yeah,
0: definitely Gary and I have definitely a bromance. Um. And that's, that's the
1: best kind of romance, right there. Oh, yeah.
0: Another thing that we will do is during summer is we will make finger food, find a bottle of rosé, chill it down to the freezing point, sit on the porch with cigars, and have a brosé day.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I think this is a, a quality friend that you found. Yeah. This is somebody who enjoys... You know, that's the other thing. If you really enjoy wine, it's hard... Well, it's hard to find other people who... Really enjoyed it as much as you do, If yeah. you find somebody like that. You have a brosé day.
0: Yeah, and the the girlfriend she she's not as into wine as I am, but she also spent a year abroad in Europe, in France. Oh,
2: nice. So
0: she was introduced. That was where she learned about. Excuse me. Was wine was like literally on site in France, and also all these cool cheeses and everything. So, you know, she she kind of gets it, which is good, hmm. which is different than the, the previous legion of horrible women that I've dated
1: <laughs> shaking my head
0: so how did you get into wine in the first place? I gotta ask this question because I love hearing the answers Jesus. that people give um, and I'll tell you my answer after
1: so I was really into beer like super into beer um, and then I became a celiac ooh I got really sick and they thought they couldn't figure out what was wrong with me um, for I don't know six months and they thought I had all sorts of weird stuff like cancer MS whatever Um, and I went to them and I was like when I have these things my symptoms get worse and this is what happens and they were like oh shit we should test you for uh, gluten intolerant. And so, turns out I'm allergic to wheat.
2: And
1: it's like, oh, so there goes the beer and the scotch and the whiskey and the any, per, anything made of wheat, pretty much. Um, and so, I'd like wine, but I sort of focused on wine after that and developed better taste and better palate for it versus some... Oh different types of beer and and I became more appreciative of of wine at that point. So yes, so I yeah, but so being allergic to wheat and beer and pretty much everything else besides tequila (laughs) drove me towards wine, but it's been a an interesting road and learning about it and, and appreciating it. So how did you get
0: into wine? Well, the story begins when I was 13 and started watching Frasier with my parents. So, because I was a very awkward, gangly kid um, and couldn't do any sports whatsoever. So I'm watching Frasier and I see these two guys. We're talking about wine, talking about opera, talking about high culture. It's like, okay, so I can't do this option over here. This is just no way in hell I'm ever going to be sports esque. But I can aim for this side over here, being high cultured, highfalutin, not highfalutin, but high cultured, and into wine, into all these fascinating things, and opera, and high culture. So, okay, I'm going to make the conscious choice to kind of go that direction. So that was early on. But the main wine experience, and this is why I love San Sangiovese San Gervese always will have a soft spot for me. Um. I was 15 years old. And, uh, we were on a... My dad and I were on a camping trip with his work buddies from the city of Glendale. And... And he... My dad's friend from, you know, crazy Italian guy. Um. Of which you know many. Uh, He was second generation, or first generation American Italian. Italian Italian-American, but... uh, Italians are
1: pretty crazy by American standards.
0: So he he decides that he's going to make for us, for dinner that night, uh, spaghetti in the field, as he called it. And so he made the sauce from scratch on this rickety camp stove in a little fucking nowhere near Seligman, Arizona, in the north. And... And um, I had this bottle of Chianti Classico and opened it and poured half of it into the sauce that he was making. Yeah. Handed me the bottle because, you know, Italian said, Here, be good lad, Cody, finish the sauce for me. I was the only kid around. So I go to my dad and I ask him, Can I have this Chianti? Because, again, you know, pronunciation <laughs> was not my strong point. I was 15. Um, that Dan gave me, and Dad's like, eh, you're... Okay, you, you know, you're under what passes for adult supervision. Go ahead. And so I poured it into a red Solo cup, because this is what we had. And I knew, like, if I poured it into the coffee cups, okay, the whatever residual coffee is going to affect the flavor, because, you know, watching Fraser's when point, I knew enough
2: mm-hmm.
0: of the bullshit that they expoused on that show that it's based on truth uh, in a lot of ways. So I say, okay, so if I do it this, uh, it's gotta be the red solo cup. Shit, okay, whatever. It's not a good wine glass, but it'll work. And so I sip it with the spaghetti, and it's an amazing pairing, and it's great, and I love it. Mm-hmm. But what really clinched it was it just so happened, just because of one of those weird quirks of fate, that it was the first night in Arizona in 80 years where you could see the Aurora Borealis. Wow. So this was March 31st, 2001. So suddenly all these weird crazy lights started appearing above us and danced their way across the sky to the south. And we're like, what the fuck is this? And Dad's like, guys, shut the fuck up. This is Northern Lights. I haven't seen this since I was in high school in Alaska. So just sit the sit down, shut the fuck up, and enjoy it. It's not the end of the world. <laughs> but, but here I am listening to these owls and coyotes around this quiet, crackling campfire mm-hmm. in the end as we all just sit silent in awe. Uh, and the Juniper's like slowly popping, creaking, because this is what Juniper Wood always does in a campfire. And there's owls on one side and coyotes on the other. And I'm swirling the last bit of this bottle in in my red Solo cup and sniffing it and spelling it and looking up at the Northern Lights, dancing across the sky and sipping it and being like, fuck, did I just peak at 15? I think I just peaked at 15. I don't know that I'm ever going to have another moment in my life that's this freaking magical and amazing. I really don't. And it's one of those moments I will never, ever forget. And it's one of those also very rare moments where the universe just is like, hey, so this, what you're doing right now, this is what you're going to do with your life, Mm -hmm. more or less. So, pay attention. (laughs) And and ever since then, I've kind of almost been chasing the dragon of that first moment. And I've had a lot of great wines and a lot of great wine experiences, but still, nothing has ever topped that very first Mm -hmm. wine experience period with this, you know, not even a super fancy bottle of Chianti Classico. It's like, you know, grocery store Chianti Classico. Mm -hmm. You know, you've probably... Have better Chianti Classico with your lunch in, in in Italy, because you're in Tuscany, for God's sakes, the heartland, the motherland uh, of San Giovese. and you know here I am, just this awkward fifteen year old kid drinking this Chianti Classico under the northern lights, going, "Holy shit, this is amazing," <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. I've had great wine since then and great wine experiences since then, but nothing has really ever topped that first moment where the universe is like, hey, pssst, this is what you're going to be doing. <laughs> what? But anyway, we're going to crack into the chat de to pop. I want to thank you once again, Amber, for for joining me in this spur of the moment let's drink a shit ton of wine-a-thon. Um, yes. Uh, Gary, I will save this vermentino for you. We'll probably drink it tomorrow or the day after.
1: I'm sorry, Gary.
0: (laughs) We love you, Gary. Yes, we
1: do.
0: Um, Until next time, this is uh, the Arizona Wine Mug signing off.